0: So if you would stand and follow along as I read God's word. Again we're starting verse 1 in John 15. It says, I am the true vine and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit he takes away and every branch that does bear fruit he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. and the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love for the servant does not know what his master is doing. I'm sorry. For the servant did, yeah, okay. Okay. But I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, so that you will love one another. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name because they do not know him who sent me if i had not come and spoken to them they would not have been guilty of sin but now they have no excuse for their sin whoever hates me hates my father also if i had not done among them the works that no one else did they would not be guilty of sin but now they have seen and hated both me and my father but the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled They hated me without a cause, but when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me, and you also will bear witness, because you have been with me from the beginning. I'm going to pray for Kevin before we begin. Dear Lord, thank you that you are such a good Heavenly Father, and you call us to abide in your love. I pray that you would help us to have a better understanding of what it means to abide in your love. I pray that you would help us to also know what it means when it says that the world has hated you first. And I just pray for Kevin as he um, speaks on this topic, Lord, that you would help us to be receptive and receiving, and it would change our hearts and our lives. I pray that you would give Kevin peace, clarity, um, and confidence to speak your word. In your son's name I pray. Amen.
1: Thanks for joining us again this morning. As you're making your way to your seat, um, one more comment about Katie's appeal for for kids workers. Um, I would guess that we have a number of parents that are having difficulty, which I can understand, bringing their kids into what we're doing here, and are likely waiting on for us to open up the Cars Kids again. You know, I'm sure that's going on. And then, you know, for those, we have a number of parents who are willing to serve in Cars Kids, but they need somewhere for their kids to be while they're serving. So I think we have this situation where we need to get going and if you are um, single, don't have kids, nest, or whoever you are, that could really be huge and just stepping in and helping us through this transition of getting over this hump. So that's just another, another pitch for you. Um, back in March of 2020, so right when everything was beginning to happen, A Christian author by the name of Andy Crouch authored a really important and influential article entitled, Leading Beyond the Blizzard. And he wrote this directing it toward business and ministry leaders, and what he was doing is he he was looking out, he was seeing at the horizon some ominous clouds coming our way, and he was trying to help us all get prepared. And he starts out with this point of the article, which was, we're not going back to normal. And he argues this. If you're treating this like a blizzard, where you hole up in your house for a week and then you reemerge a few days later and you know think you're going to enter into the same world, if that's your thinking, you're not thinking about this wisely and things are not going to go well for you, it's doubtful you'll even survive. Crouch, on the other hand, predicted this season would be more like a long winter. Even... The beginning of an ice age and he said it would have long-standing political economic and cultural impact a blizzard you can wait out right but entering an ice age you have to rethink everything you're doing and i think he was so wise with that but he said we're not going back to normal but my question of course is is this really a bad thing so i'm arguing throughout this series that the days leading up to that outbreak weren't really as great as we think maybe they were. They were not a golden age in American Christian history by any means. In fact, they are what resulted in the mess we now know as 2020. As I said last week, quoting Ed Young from The Atlantic, normal led to this. What I want to do is I want to pull us back toward something that we can call maybe vintage Christianity the life of the church we see in the New Testament, the pathway that Jesus lays out in John 15. It's been my desire in this three-part series that we would together process what we've been through and think about what Jesus might want to do in and through us as a result of this. Perhaps this crisis can disrupt us and awaken us. Maybe growth can emerge from the struggle that we've all been through. Last week... We heard Jesus' call to abide in Him. This week, we'll hear His call for us to love one another. Now, I'm going to use the same outline I used last week. And first, I want to talk about what COVID has revealed in us. So I want to be clear, as I go through this series, I'm making some observations about American culture, about Christian culture. I'm not necessarily trying to ream on cars, people, because I've actually been really proud what COVID has revealed in us. So the housing market has been rough as of late, you probably heard, and many have had to purchase homes without inspections, right? Well, as I thought about that, I kind of thought, man, I hope that they don't end up the way Amy and I did in our first house back in Columbia, and it was inspected. But I just remember many times we sucking water out of the carpets and eventually sewage out of the carpet. That's, that's how our first house was here. 2020 really truly revealed what lurked in the pipes of the household of God. The crisis hit, the sewage started coming out, and there wasn't a shop back in the world big enough to to get it all out. What symptoms have we seen? We we read part of 1 Corinthians 13 a little while ago. The stuff after that, let's think about the opposite of of 1 Corinthians 13. Impatient, unkind, envying and boasting. Arrogant, rude, fighting for our own way, irritable, resentful, rejoicing in the wrongdoing and downfall of others, rejoicing in lies, especially, you know, a good conspiracy theory. We won't put up with weakness, won't believe the best about anyone, won't wish the best for anyone, won't really tolerate much of anything. This pandemic really hasn't looked good on us, America, because there's been so much division and so little love. So if those are the symptoms, what's been the disease? If this is what's come out, then we need to look back and think, well, what have we been eating? Well, I would argue not a biblical faith that finds its expression in loving Christian community. We've not been abiding in Jesus. We've not been exhibiting his love and it's shown. Here's some characteristics that I think you can see in modern American Christianity that's produced some of our issues. First, a faith that's individualistic. Individualistic. It's all about me, my needs, my freedoms. Who cares about the other guy? Second, a faith that's moralistic. I keep the rules, the ones I value. I look down on others who don't agree. I judge them, I mock them. Third, a faith that's consumeristic. I don't come to give, I come to take. If you don't give me the product or service I want, when I want it, I leave. You change the hours on your door, I change churches. If you say something I don't want to hear, I go elsewhere. Fourth, a faith that's superficial. My trust in Christ, it's only skin deep. My commitment to others doesn't amount to much. If trials rock my world, I'm out. If, you don't like, if I don't like what you say, I'm gone. You see, this is a faith that's not built on rock, but on sand. And we have seen the sands shift over the past year or two, and it's shown the American church to be what it truly is. Now, this disease has reared its ugly head in two very, non, very obvious ways during this really hard season. First, of course, is how we've handled COVID-19. The pandemic, it has... Shaken and divided our nation. I like, I like some good faith. Right, right then I'm always like, please turn up the base. But anyways, not not now. The, the pandemic has, has shaken and divided our nation and the church really hasn't helped. It's maybe been a part of the problem. It's been discouraging for me as a pastor, as a Christian, to see so many who have claimed Christ as Savior and Lord lashing out, condemning those who make the laws, commending those who comply with them, mocking masks, mocking vaccines. It's been disturbing. It's frankly been embarrassing. We've seen such a complete lack of love for neighbor, but also for brother and sister. Second, racial justice. Following the, the murder of George Floyd, the nations erupted in protest, and where were so many of the so-called Christians standing on the side, as always, not listening, but questioning? Not encouraging, but condemning? Excusing racism in their own hearts, denying racism in the systems of America, telling our black and bro- black brothers and sisters that their experience surely wasn't real? posting videos of token black people, saying what white people want to hear. 2020's been rough. We, we couldn't put on a mask for the sake of our neighbor. We couldn't shut up and listen to the hurts of our brother. That's what we've seen over the last couple of years. We've been more concerned about our freedom and our fulfillment than that of others. We've pushed a faith built more on self-love than on love for others. Second, then, let's look at what Jesus calls us back into. What he calls us into here in John 15. He says in verse 1, I am the true vine. I'm the true vine. That's such a rich statement. We can't begin to go into all of it. But Jesus here offers a new greater family. A life together among his people. Jesus here calls himself the vine. In doing so, he draws upon this rich Old Testament metaphor if you read the Old Testament, who's called the vine there? Throughout the pages, the nation of Israel they are now generally when God calls them that it's it's akin to whenever your your mom calls you by your first and your middle name, right? It's, it's calling them out, it's condemning them for not living as God had called them, for as the vine, not bearing much fruit Jesus says here, I am the vine. I'm the one that Israel pointed to. I'm the true vine. I'm the better vine. I'll bear much fruit through my life, death, and resurrection. Unlike them, unlike Israel. In me, though, I'm bringing together a new people of God, a new vine that will bear fruit in the world. He adds in verse 5, you are the branches. So we're together, a part of the vine, if we believe, if we're in Christ. I'm a branch. You're a branch. We're we're both drawing on the life of Jesus together. And all the pronouns here are plural. This isn't you singular. This is you all are the branches. That's what he's saying. Jesus brings us together into a better, new people of God. Into a family a family marked by love Christ says this in verses 12 and 13 this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you greater love has no one than this that someone lay down his life for his friends so love isn't just a feeling it's it's certainly actions but it's more than that too But Jesus is saying here, our love is patterned after his love. It mirrors his sacrifice. But I want to take a few minutes and mine it just a little bit more this morning. Here's a definition that I put together of love leaning on Paul Tripp and a a guy named Robert Chong. And I think you'll see just how much different it is from maybe what we've experienced over the last couple years. A work of God in the heart rooted in his great love for us in christ that compels us to give ourselves for others no matter the cost desiring their best regardless of how deserving so that others will love him more deeply i'm just going to walk through that a work of god in the heart rooted in his great love for us in christ this is no superficial love right god thaws out our frozen hearts by his love And that leaves us with hearts that are meant to pump out affection toward those around us. And we grow in understanding that love and expressing that love for the rest of our lives. That compels us to give ourselves for others no matter the cost. This is no consumeristic love. Love isn't here to get, it's to give, not to consume, but to contribute. We don't ask people to bear the cost for us. We're here to even give up our lives as Jesus did for us. Desiring their best, regardless of how deserving. Moralistic thinking doesn't fit with this love. We don't expect other people to measure up because we know that we ourselves can't begin to do it. We don't look down on others. How can we? Because the Father has worked for the good of undeserving sinners like us. And therefore, we want to seek the best for them also. So that others will love him more deeply. This is no individualistic Christianity. We're here for others. I'm not just concerned about my relationship with God, but yours and his and hers. I'm willing to. With God's help, to sacrifice what I want so that our neighbors will get to know Him as well. This is what love is. This is what we're called to give, but even more what we're blessed to receive. Think about this. You know, we we, we read that and we think, wow, that sounds really hard, but it's also what we so desperately want. We all want this kind of love, we all want to be in this kind of family. We want to be in a family where we can be known for who we are, and then loved into something we didn't think we could ever be. Amen. Forgiven when we sin, picked up when we fall. That's what Jesus offers us in this bind. That's what the gospel does among His people. So Jesus calls us into this new greater family that's marked by love, that's also set apart from the world. Now we'll talk about this more next time but there's this transition that happens in verse 18 where Jesus turns from talking about loving to hating the main main point there has to do with persecution but there's this striking contrast the world, it hates but we, the church are to be marked by love and that gives people a, a foretaste, it gives people a signpost of what's to come Mark Deber has put it this way. A community of mutual love must be one of the closest approximations of heaven that we can know in this fallen world. Jesus says in chapter 13, verses 34 and 35, A new command that I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Jesus calls us to come and abide in his love. This love that he has shared from eternity past with his Father, he calls us in and he wants us to be so moved by that, that we then love one another. And the world can glimpse that and is drawn in with us. This is what Jesus offers us, church of God. Third, what the Spirit has also taught us. You'll have more ideas. These are a few things that have jumped out to me over the last many months. There's been a lot of ugly that's gone around, but there's also been a lot of beauty that we've seen. We've been reminded, and we need this reminder, that the church is a people. You know, when, in a blink of an eye, everything that the church in America was doing seemed to be shut down, I think we thought, well, we've always said that we're not a building, we're not a bunch of events, And we got down to seeking to loved one. The relationship kept going. In many ways, got stronger. Even if it was sitting around a campfire or looking at someone through Zoom or sitting across a driveway. I remember hearing this story that I think is a great image of Anna and John bringing food over to the Mitchell family, dropping it off at the door, and then getting back in their car, you know, with the heater cranked talking to them via FaceTime. That's what we're talking about. We've been reminded that the true people of God do still love. We've continued to point each other toward the gospel, especially in the face of trials. We've met each other's spiritual needs, but we've also thought about one another's physical needs. During our family's battle with cancer, over the last year, year and a half... We've been overwhelmed at the love of Christ shown to us. All the gifts, all the calls, all the texts, all the notes, and all the food. That's why I'm on a major diet now, so many thanks, many thanks for that. The, 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 the people of Christ here have been amazing. We were reminded just how much we need each other in every respect. But I think we've, we had forgotten just how much... In a world that has so much online communication, just how much we needed to be in one another's presence. Right? To receive hugs, to give hugs, to share meals around a table. Zoom, for a while, you know, felt like a gift. Live streams were, were nice. We're thankful for those, but they were not nearly enough. It's my hope and prayer that the Lord would use this time of absence to make our hearts grow fonder for one another, that we would long for community again, that we would never, ever take it for granted, that these trials would even strengthen our love. Fourth, what our Father could be up to. What our Father could be up to. Here's one fact you may not know about this building that we were given back in 2018. When we moved in, we literally threw away 30,000 pounds of trash. For real. Rob's got the bills to prove it. If I'm correct, I think that's 10 tons worth of garbage. It may be that God is using this trial to clean up his church. That's what Jesus seems to be communicating at a couple of places in this passage. The rest of verse 1 says this again. My father is the vine dresser. So God the Father cares for the vine. He tends to it. Verse 2 says that God's up to a couple things among his people. The branches that do bear fruit, he prunes that they might bear even more fruit. One thing our Father's likely doing is taking churches that are somewhat healthy and cutting them back, making them even more so and with that more fruitful. We, like, I'd say most churches in America are going to come out of this a little smaller, but I think with a more committed core, ready to love. But God is also up to something else that says he's judging some of the branches. That's what the taking away idea refers to in verse 2. Verse 6 expands on that thought. It, It adds some intensity. It turns the heat up. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. So churches are no doubt going to notice, as non-believers, those who haven't truly abided in Christ, disappear and never return. But it can also be that God will judge certain churches during this time, ones that have been unhealthy or diseased. There's this troubling verse that's come to mind a bunch over the last couple years. It's 1 Peter 4.17. So in in that book, um, Peter, in that letter, Peter is trying to encourage believers to keep going during trials. And he says this, For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? That's a scary thought. But here's another one. There's this idea in, in Romans chapter 1 about judgment, but it's worded in a different way than we typically think about it. It's not just God taking away things that we like, but rather God giving us exactly what we want. There's this phrase there of, that, that Paul repeats where God gave them up several times in Romans chapter 1. God handing people over to their desires. Maybe what we're seeing is the Lord just handing the American church over to its idols, over to its individualistic, consumeristic, moralistic, superficial Christianity, and that is the dumpster fire that we've all been seeing. But what's the goal of God's pruning? What specifically is he judging? We'll talk about this more next week as well. But maybe it is our shallow concept of unity and our complete lack of love. In his article, and then he has a book that he wrote about this as well, Ray Orland um, talks about it's The article is How to Build a Gospel Culture in Your Church. He talks about how churches can't just have gospel doctrine, they also need a culture that fits with it. And he writes this It's a little small, I guess, but why does this matter? Why must our churches preach gospel doctrine and embody gospel culture culture simultaneously by God's grace? Because faithfulness to the gospel requires more than doctrinal purity in our churches. It also requires relational beauty in our churches, but it is possible sincerely to preach true doctrine while at the same time utterly deny that doctrine by an ugly anti-gospel culture. So preach the love of God and look nothing like it in the pew. Russ Moore recently wrote explaining why he thought He saw young Christians leaving the church today. He said it used to be because people would deny major doctrines or they would deny sin more. But he says now that people depart for a different reason. And he says, I quote, not because they do not believe what the church teaches, but because they believe the church itself does not believe what the church teaches. So in other words, the way the church lives betrays what the church teaches. People look around it and say, where's the love?
0: As God tells us in
1: 1 John 4, true Christians love, and so do true churches. Maybe what the Lord is doing is judging the lack of love in the American church. Maybe he's not setting fire to our doctrine, but to our culture. But friends, in a church that's abiding in him, where his love is pulsating through our veins, we can never laugh about the virus being a hoax next to someone who just lost a family member to it. We can never mock as woke a sister who's sharing experiences of trauma and how she fears for her son's life out in the city. That's because we've been changed and we are moved to love. We're moved to give up our lives And that makes wearing a mask or getting a shot or shutting our mouths and hearing someone grieve not a big deal in the least that we can do. I want to leave you with four questions for you to ponder and pray about as I wrap up here today. Last week you saw what happens if I don't drink enough water, so I'm trying to remedy that. (laughs) This new format just doesn't work well for my water consumption, so I'm trying to adjust. But First, what has God revealed to you about your sin toward others during this pandemic? In what ways have you been more motivated by self-love? So ask God these questions. How, how, how have you exhibited this? Second, in what ways is God calling you back into community? How can you root yourself more deeply into his family and live out his calling there's going to be this pull. Like, we've, we've all, like, too much of the times been solitary over the last couple of years, and there's just going to be this pull by the enemy to try to get us back there. How is God calling us back? What are we going to do to pursue community again? Third, what has the Spirit taught you during this time about your need for us people and His calling to love? And what pandemic practices can you count as blessings and carry over? I think God has taught us a lot through this. Fourth, do you believe that God can use this trial to renew our love for this family in our city? Will you pray that God might do that? In that article that I began with by Andy Crouch, he argues that organizations have to rethink what he calls their vision deck. Their vision deck. He defines that as the presentation that summarizes who you are, whom you serve, why you serve them, and what you do and how you do it. So he says... Keep the first two or three slides of your PowerPoint, scrap the rest, because you have to rethink everything, and otherwise, things are not going to go well for you. Unfortunately, in America, a lot of churches haven't made it. Multitudes of pastors have hung it up. Even more professing Christians have completely walked away from the vine. Do we in Carus have a lot of room to grow? Yes. Have we arrived as a church? No. But I'm proud of how God has used you in Carus. Have we lost some people? Of course. Have we kept honoring Jesus by his grace? Absolutely. The vine lives on. The branches remain. His capital C universal church cannot, will not be stopped. Local, small seed churches have seasons. They have limited lifetimes. We don't know what Chorus' is. But some plants withstand a long winter better than others. They do. When we couldn't gather for a season, it didn't destroy who we are. We've never been about productions, about massive events. We value our gatherings like we're experiencing today, but we knew we could improvise for a season just like Christians have done throughout history and around the world. The more than that, we're a family, and one that loves one another well. And it was a joy, as your pastor, to see you serve your family and your city faithfully during this season. As a pastor, lots of people will ask me, especially other leaders, how are things going? And I've been really honest with them, It's, it's been hard. Very hard. It's, there's been a lot of heartaches along the way. But at the same time, by God's grace, I think we were prepared for the mess of 2020 because we've always been about the basics. Those first couple of slides in the PowerPoint vintage Christianity, loving God, loving brother and sister, loving neighbor. We've labored to build that foundation. So then when you get to a pandemic or you see racial injustice it just again isn't that complicated you know how to respond so i'm encouraged as i've looked and seen you being ready for the storm that we've gone through i want to take crouch's metaphor though and kind of bend it a different direction what if the church in america has actually been in winter ice cold not burning for jesus And these fiery trials of 2020 might actually be his way of melting the ice and snow, bringing renewed zeal, bringing maybe even revival. Think about melted ice caps morphing into living waters moving toward us and our neighbors. Wouldn't that be better than normal? I think so. Next week, we'll talk about how we, actually two weeks from now, we'll talk about how we love our neighbors. Let's pray as we close. God, I I praise you for how you've been at work in us during this season. Lord, it's been really hard, Lord, that it just feels good to be back with one another, looking at each other in the the faces, giving hugs, hearing voices saying, um, we thank you, Lord. I pray, Lord, that you would just continue to root us in your love, that you would make us a people that just instinctively show that to one another. Lord, bring us conviction by your spirit of how we need to change and grow. Um, encourage us by the fruit that we can see and have seen. And just continue to work in us, Lord, in a way that pleases you, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.